Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Happy Independence Day weekend. I'm Bill Ryder filling in for Jim, and we're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios when you need certainty in the home buying process. They loan that fits your life. Rocket can. Phone number here on the show, 1-800-636-8686. Rome at haveatake.com, at jimrome, jimrome.com. Jim is off, I think, the rest of this week. And so you've got me today and tomorrow. Just CBS Sports Radio today and CBS Sports Radio and CBS Sports Network tomorrow on Tuesday. Great to be here. Great to be filling in and uh, be doing this show before tomorrow. After the show, I fly to Phoenix for Game 1 of the NBA Finals for CBS Sports HQ. Avery Johnson and I actually will be doing some broadcasting from Phoenix together tomorrow. He's going to join me on the show in about 30 or 35 minutes. Sam Amick, great national NBA writer for The Athletic, will be on the program in an hour. My go-to guy on baseball, love Rob Dibble, will be on the show right around 1040 Pacific time. We'll talk Shohei Otani, the Dodgers without Trevor Bauer. That ugliness, of course. Garrett Cole and Araldis Chapman for the Yankees, both struggling Coincidentally or otherwise, and I probably would go with otherwise, in the wake of Major League Baseball cutting down on and implementing restrictions against various sticky substances that aren't rosin, maybe a little bit of uh, suntan, a little bit of lotion. We'll visit with Rob about those things. And Jeff Goodman from Stadium will talk about the name, image, and likeness changes, not just legally with the Supreme Court decision last week, but also with the NCAA, in effect, acquiescing to the new reality. It's going to change the sport, and I think it's a good thing. We'll hit a little Coco Golf and tennis, talk how I, um, maybe the first time in my life, I'm grateful to the fine folks up in Bristol for p- trying to prevent us from watching one of the most grotesque traditions in American sports. We'll get into the future of the Atlanta Hawks. I think they deserve some praise, and I've got a solution for Major League Baseball in the wake of both some very dark Trevor Bauer and some just more typical Cole and Chapman problems, baseball problems. I got a solution. It rhymes with Jorge Lolani, and we'll do that in about 15 or 20 minutes. By the way, kind of a, kind of cool and kind of strange for me, and you can hit me up on Twitter if you want, sports writer, sports R-E-I-T-E-R. Although let me say this, and I want to say it respectfully. I want to say it, say it nicely. Um, if you hit me up on Twitter and you tell me how much you hate having me filling for Jim, that's fine. That's totally fine. But if I happen to respond, you maybe don't immediately apologize and follow me because it just it feels a little bit like maybe your criticism wasn't, you know, as you could be more committed. Like stick to the criticism. It's OK. You can. It's fine. You're not going to hurt my feelings. It, uh, it's totally cool. And it's sort of weird being here because Alvin's here. Alvin Delaro is here. And, and I rumor has it that Alvin like was going to be off today and just heard that I was in. I was like, oh my gosh, I need some Bill Ryder time in my life. Thank you, Alvin. Appreciate you. Uh, wearing the Notre Dame visor. I'm wearing a, a very comfortable... Oh, yeah. No, do, do all the drops you want, by the way. Like, you can go full rid on me if you want to. Yeah, I mean, you want to just, like, drop constantly? We've got a guest coming up. The only time I've ever heard anyone drop um, drop something, a drop on a, on a live guest was Rit. And I think for was it Thursdays? Was it like was it Rome Thursdays when you when he when he was in? For all the angst, that was the one time I thought I heard, and I was on the other side of LA. I thought I heard Jim Jim's head explode, just like in the air. Of but you're welcome. You, you. 
See, Ritz not here, but he's still here. He's still for better or for worse. Oh my god! Oh my god! And uh, Tom DiBenedetto, who's the new member of the of the program, uh, was formerly my producer over on over on Rider Than You. So it's great to see Tom again. He's wearing a, a very fancy sort of black and white. It actually looks like the galaxy. Like it's a black shirt with a bunch of white dots. It looks like stars. Something Rick and Morty. I like it. I dig it. Rumor has it he got some grief for it. I, Tom, don't change. I think it looks amazing. I love everything about it. Uh, Adam Hawk and Garrett Ritt are um, are off today. So Bill Ryder with you. Thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. All right, the NBA Finals are set, and there's this notion out there, and I think it's misconceived, and I think it's wrong. That well, two things. One, that last year's NBA champion, right, the Lakers in October in the bubble, were the COVID champions, right? The the pandemic champions. And two, that it was a less than championship because of the travails and the difficulties of last season and, and a playing in the bubble. But but the reality is whoever wins between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns, and Milwaukee clinched its way to an NBA Finals with an impressive win against Atlanta on Saturday. No Giannis. There was a Trey Young. He didn't play well. Whoever wins between Phoenix and Milwaukee, they're going to be the actual COVID champions. That's going to be the actual team that wins an NBA championship in the season most affected by the pandemic. Because last year, Lakers heat, and I, I suppose you could sort of make an argument against Miami, but last year the team that was expected to win the whole thing, the Lakers won the whole thing. And, and even though some organizations like, like Memphis and, and Phoenix, ironically, would argue with this, the teams that were allowed to play in the postseason after that weird deciding bubble return were mostly the teams that we expected to play. Yes, it was in a bubble in Orlando. Yes, there weren't fans. Yes, it was difficult for players to be isolated from their families. But it didn't really alter the course of, of who was there. Not, not really. This season, this NBA playoffs is the one that has been utterly and totally affected by the shutdown of the world more than a year ago and everything that has happened since. And I've said this on my own show, and I probably said this when, when filling in for Jim recently, but I had a GM... A couple months ago, I, I made the rounds, I made the calls a couple months ago and called a bunch of guys around the league just to, to shoot the breeze, to get a sense of, of where their heads were at on a, on a lot of topics and not on injuries. And a GM that I really respect told me the following, and I confirmed it later with a bunch of other sources around the NBA. His, his words to me were, the best team was not going to win an NBA championship this year, as we understood it. It was going to be the healthiest team. And that it turned out, he said... Every single team in the NBA, every single team that was going to play postseason basketball, believed that there were landmines, injury landmines, waiting to pop up for their players in the regular season and the postseason. And he said there's going to be just injury after injury after injury, and the teams that can withstand those or avoid those are the ones that are going to make it. And that's exactly what's defined the postseason. There are a lot of reasons the Clippers aren't in the NBA Finals. A big part of the reason is because Kawhi Leonard got hurt. There's a lot of reasons the Lakers went out in the first round. And by the way, I think some of that is because the Suns are really good, but also because Anthony Davis could not stay healthy. The Denver Nuggets put up a fight, but not a huge one because they did not have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. is not a fill-in. I said for the last three or four months that I thought that the Bucks were the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. And I got lucky because they were healthy up until the Eastern Conference Finals in a way that Brooklyn Nets were not. I was wrong, even if I was right. Kyrie Irving getting hurt, 
James Harden getting hurt is the reason. It's the reason that Milwaukee won that series. In fact, I mean, Kevin Durant just ran out of steam, ran out of energy. He was amazing. And then that overtime, if you go all the way back to when they got eliminated, just couldn't get it done. And then in this past series, Milwaukee-Atlanta, which culminated on Saturday, give Milwaukee credit. I'm not taking anything away from him. No Giannis. The reports and expectations where he could have played in a Game 7, which means he should be able to play tomorrow in Phoenix against the Suns. And the Bucks go out there in a Game 6 on Saturday, and they get it done. They win it. They win in Atlanta. They advance to the Finals without Giannis. But it's also true that the Atlanta Hawks missed Trey Young for a few games, had him back for that Game 6, and Trey looked awful. That bone bruise in his foot affected him. Injuries have defined this entire postseason. And the reality is that the team that's probably going to win the NBA championship that starts tomorrow is going to be the team that's the healthiest. If the Suns can avoid Devin Booker getting another broken nose, or I guess re-breaking his nose, if Chris Paul, who's been incredible, and a lot of you hit me up at Sports Writer Sports, R-E-I-T-E-R, about how are you dealing with, with Chris Paul being in the postseason? Well, good. I don't have to like Chris Paul to say that he's been amazing, and I don't have to like Chris Paul to have bet on the Suns to win at 12-1 to when they're playing the Lakers. So, so I'm actually rooting for I'm actually rooting for Phoenix. I'm I'm from Dubuque, Iowa. Much of my family in Wisconsin. I'm a big fan of that part of the country. I'd love to see Milwaukee win the whole thing. But I've got money on the Suns. But whoever wins, whoever wins, it's going to be the team that's the healthiest. If you could wave some magic wand, if you could make Chris Paul certain to play all seven games at whatever 100% is at this stage of the season, right? 80 or 85% is probably more accurate. If you can make sure Devin Booker is not just healthy, but his nose stays healthy enough that he's not a little bit out of rhythm like he was for some of those games. If you can make sure that Giannis is okay. And by the way, let, let me just say this. When that injury happened, I'm sure all of you felt the same way. I thought his season was over, and I thought his career might be altered. The way he went down, what it looked like when he came down, the fact he might play in these finals are incredible. I just hope they don't rush him back. I would much rather have Giannis at 70% for games three and beyond than I would have him at whatever it is for game one and get hurt again. But if you could wave a magic wand, you could put Giannis out there making sure he's healthy and it's a fully constituted and ready-to-go squad on both sides. I still think the Suns win the series. I think they're the better team. I think they're the more impressive team. That's just not the way it's going to go. This isn't some magical utopian place where once you make it to the NBA Finals, once you battle your way through all the injuries, the condensed offseason that's affected things that GM told me about, the condensed regular season, the fact that these NBA players cannot live and operate in a normal way like most of us. I was on vacation last week up in, up in Tahoe here in California, and for the first time in a long time, nobody's wearing masks, right? Me either. I mean, I'm vaccinated. My wife's vaccinated. We're outside. We're hanging out. We went into restaurants. It feels like normal life. That's been true for some of you in the places you live longer than it has been in California. But for the most part, if you choose to go back to normal life, and that's something you're comfortable with, you can do it. You can go do what you want. NBA players can't. And so the grind of being in a lifestyle that reflects the way most of us had to live a year ago, having done that for the whole NBA season and the condensed offseason and the condensed regular season, all of that has led to a bunch of injuries that have defined this postseason. It's not going away in the playoffs. More guys are going to get hurt. More guys are going to be injured. It's not fair. It's not cool. It's the way it's going to go. And that's not going to take anything away from me from whatever team wins. I saw something on Twitter a, a few weeks ago questioning whether or not the Lakers championship was legitimate because they went out in the first round, right? And because the Heat did too. 
And I find that to be silly, and I find it to be short-sighted. I understand the temptation to go there, but it's hard to win these things. And I think this year's is even harder than last year's in the bubble. And now there's this opportunity, I think it's great for the NBA, for either that Phoenix market or that Milwaukee market to celebrate a championship for the first time in a really, really long time. And to redefine, whoever wins, the legacies and the greatness and the excellence of the leader of those teams. For Chris Paul, and, and I've said this before, and I mean it. Again, don't have to like the guy to know what he is. Chris Paul is the most talented, typical, atypical, true point guard for me since Isaiah Thomas of the Pistons. And he is, I think, the most talented and successful and impressive athlete in any of the major sports not to have won a championship. Not, not just the NBA. Baseball's a little different. I guess you could say Mike Trout, right? But a baseball player does not have actual legitimate impact. So I, I, as adjusted for the impact you can have. If Chris Paul wins this championship, if, if the Suns get it done, and I think they will, one of the great point guards of all time becomes someone who now has one of the great careers of all time. Because that's different. Individual excellence, especially in the NBA, or if you're a quarterback in the NFL, needs to translate to championships. It just, it just does. If Giannis wins... If Milwaukee gets it done, you're talking about a still relatively young player who's been doubted and criticized, whether it's how long he takes to shoot his free throws or his inability to shoot, or I don't think they're wrong necessarily. Barkley and Shaq talking about Giannis shooting threes when he shouldn't, even if he just shoots two in a game, they get all mad. You're talking about a guy with two MVPs, staring down all the doubters, overcoming this knee injury, and getting the championship that sets him on a path to potentially one of the great careers of his generation. It's really exciting. It's totally legitimate whoever wins. And I think it's a credit to both those organizations that they were able, in what has been a minefield of injuries and angst and anger and frustrated players, to get to this spot. I can't wait to see it. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business and be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL and speak to a Dell Technologies advisor today. All right, welcome back into the Jim Rome Show. Bill Ryder filling in for Jim. Happy July 4th. Thanks for hanging out. I love the optimism that surrounds holidays. Bella B tweets at sports writer, sports R-E-I-T-E-R. Did you and your neighbor bury the hatchet and share a 4th of July hot dog together? No. They're all buttholes out there. They really are. Uh, you're not wrong. Alvin's got it. One of the few things that I hate more than the annual Nathan's hot dog eating contest is my neighbor. <laughs> the same neighbor who sprayed my child with water and grabbed his arm. Yeah. Nope. Nope. We, um, we ain't friends. I was out of town, Bella. I came back into town Saturday, a little, little family vacation, really well timed with the NBA uh, conference finals. And he saw me and he made a beeline into his house and I haven't seen him since, which is just how we, we like it. No peace. No peace. Uh, in the neighborhood on July 4th. But to the rest of you, happy holiday. Happy holiday. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. 1-800-636-8686. take.com at Jim Rome. JimRome.com. Baseball's got a problem. 
And by the way, I love I love the sport. I love baseball. I, I think it's a beautiful game. I'm a Cubs fan. I like the Dodgers because I live in L.A. I'm interested in the team. And I still follow as much as I can the Kansas City Royals because I spent so much time in Kansas City. So I'm probably unusual in the sense that I have three teams that I'm relatively committed to following. But most fans of sports, most baseball fans, follow one team and one team only. And I, we've talked about this. I've talked about it on my show in the morning, and I've talked about it when I filled in here on, on Rome. That baseball is not that relevant outside of its actual markets. And you've got a, a series of things going on that are distractions. On the baseball side, right, just the, the typical baseball side, Garrett Cole and Aroldis Chapman really represent a, another problem for the sport. And, and hopefully maybe not as significant as the steroids era, but this sticky silliness, this substance that was used to get extra RPMs or rotations per minute on the ball and that allow pitchers to basically do things with it that are theoretically, and according to Major League Baseball, beyond the scope of what a pitcher should be able to do when when, when, when going after batters. And Cole and Chapman have both struggled for the Yankees since the sticky smackdown has gone on. And yesterday, Cole bad out against the Mets. Chapman pitched badly. It was a weird and ugly game, even though it worked out for the Yankees. And then you have the darker problems in, in baseball, and, and I'm not sure. I can't remember the last time there was an uglier, at least, accusation than what, what's been leveled at Trevor Bauer. And I don't think, I don't know what to what degree it's been talked about here on the show, so I'll, I'll make it brief. But Bauer's been accused of, of sexual assault with a woman that he met on, on social media. The accusations are, are lurid and ugly. He has denied the accusations. There is a criminal investigation out of Pasadena, California, and the expectation is that it will be referred to the district attorney's office, so we're going to get some answers and some information. And if the accusations are true, Trevor Bauer shouldn't play Major League Baseball again. He just shouldn't. And I said this last hour, two hours ago on my own show, the accusations against Bauer are so awful. And if they're true, I don't know if they're true. You don't know if they're true. Hopefully we'll get some answers. But it's not just baseball. It's not just a baseball player where I would say never should do this again. If this happened in a at a radio studio, a person should never work in a radio studio again. If it happened at a school, a person should never work at a school again. If a police officer were rightfully accused of something like this, they shouldn't police the streets again. You go down every any walk, multi-million dollar CEO shouldn't be in charge of a company. Whatever. But for baseball, you've got a problem. You've got a sport that doesn't get the ratings that it should. You've got a media echo chamber, right? What I do for a living, what you listen to for, for entertainment, that dreads baseball season. And this is like, I don't know how much people talk about this publicly. I think it's not a big secret. Media members don't like baseball season because there's not a lot to talk about because baseball is not interesting to most of you on a global level. It's just it's just not. We like it, some of us, right? It's just not interesting to you. I, I, I can't go talk to you about, I don't know, the Cubs' woes or what the Dodgers pitching staff does now or the Yankees being mediocre and have it matter all over the country. I can't. Here's a solution. I have no confidence Robert Manfred will will follow this solution because I have no confidence in the Major League Baseball commissioner. But you have in Shohei Otani, even by the standards of those who exaggerate, and people would say radio hosts exaggerate, people like me, I, I tend to argue I don't. I say what I think. But... Even by the standards of exaggeration, this is not hyperbole. Shohei Otani 
is one of the most mesmerizing baseball players and athletes of our lifetimes. He, he, he is. He's literally doing something that's never been done. I don't even know what the equivalent is in other sports. I guess it would be a guy playing quarterback and being one of the best defensive players on the field. He is the ace of the Angels, and I know the Angels are not a very good baseball team and are disappointing. And he is one of the game's absolute premier hitters. In fact, Benedetto, who now works on, on the show, Tom Benedetto, went to an Angels game yesterday and saw Otani hit a home run. Maybe at the end of the show we'll get a little bit of a uh, a perspective from someone that saw with their own eyes. I've never seen Otani play. I keep meaning to get to an Angels game, and I haven't done it. And to symbolize this, to really bring it home, Otani is the only player in the history of the sport, the only player in the history of baseball, who was an all-star as a pitcher and a hitter. I mean, I mean think about that. Think about how rare this is. Baseball needs to make Otani the face of the sport. Get him with his interpreter or whatever he's comfortable with. Get him on the Today Show. Get him on CBS This Morning. Get him on the Jim Rome Show. Please, please slip him into the rider than you if you guys have time. Get him on Late Night. He is the thing that you sell. He's a once-in-a-generation talent. And, and the thing that is a marvel about this, and I wish he was on a different team, even though the Angels play in Southern California, they're in Anaheim, they're basically a small market team, they're, they're, they're an all-snow-ran here, they're not the Dodgers, and they're not very good. But Shohei also plays on a team with the guy, when he's healthy, who was baseball's most mesmerizing player before Otani showed up and Mike Trout. The Angels should be a lot like the Pelicans were to the NBA. Do you know how many nationally televised games the, the Pelicans were on last year? I, I actually, I was out with an NBA source with a power broker in the uh, uh, like a month ago. And we're just, we were shooting the breeze. We were talking, right? And, and I'm like, how, um, I, I go, you know, when LeBron kind of moves on, right? Because everyone wants to talk about LeBron. Who do you think the next great player, who's the next person to know, to follow, to, to focus on? And I kept making arguments for various guys, and he, and he told me, he's like, you're thinking about it all wrong. Like, it's not about just excellence, it's about what is interesting. And he said, Silver, Adam Silver, the commissioner, is so smart, he already knows. He said, follow, this is equivalent of like, follow the money. Follow nationally televised games. He goes, who is the young player that has the most nationally televised games that probably doesn't deserve it? And I said, Zion. And he said, exactly. That's what Major League Baseball needs to do. The Pelicans aren't very good. They weren't very, they're not very well run. They were disappointing. Didn't win a lot of games. Didn't stop an NBA from putting them everywhere. That's what, it's not hard, Manfred. Put Otani on all the time. Do you know how many, okay, so I'm from the mid, middle part of the country. I'm from Iowa. My kids are born in Kansas City. I went to school, school at Mizzou. I lived in Kansas City for a long time. I lived in Iowa for a long time. I lived in Arkansas. I say this all the time. It's amazing to me that, that, that people that run these sports franchises, organizations, and leagues don't, don't know this and don't follow it. Nobody outside of New York City cares about the Yankees. There's a huge country that doesn't want to watch Red Sox-Yankees, especially when the Yankees are mediocre. But I would argue aggressively that people in Dubuque, Iowa, and Austin, Texas, and California, and the East Coast, and Charlotte, and everywhere else would watch Shohei Otani play. I mean, Tom's not a, he's not an Angels fan. And the first game that he went to wasn't a Dodgers game. They're a much better team. He went to an Angels game. I mean, he lives, you know, down there because he works for, you know, on the show. But and he decided to settle down down south. But yeah, I had to do my I had to, I had to, I had to do a little bit of geography in my head down south. 
he went because Shohei Otani is the most interesting athlete literally in Los Angeles. He's more interesting than even LeBron is. I'm not saying better. I'm just saying more mesmerizing, fascinating, different, interesting. Look, whatever happens with Trevor Bauer is going to happen. And baseball has to find a way to make sure that its pitchers aren't cheating. They handled it in a really bad way. And you can't overnight make every market in Major League Baseball in America significant to other markets. But when you get a once, it's not even a once in a lifetime. When you get a once in the history of your sport athlete like Shohei Itani, sell him, market him, make him the face of your game. If baseball can't capitalize on this guy, and I'm not saying it's easy, but if they can't capitalize on this guy, then, they, then they're lost. All right, welcome back into the show. Bill Ryder with you. Heading to Phoenix tomorrow. It's to be 111 degrees, by the way. Excuse me, 109. I apologize. I exaggerated. And I'm very excited to work with this week, my on-air partner for the week, and, and talk with right now former NBA coach of the year, former NBA player. You can see him everywhere, including CBS Sports HQ, the one and only Avery Johnson. Coach, happy uh, 4th of July. What's going on, man? Hey, Bill, happy 4th of July. Are you ready for, uh, you ready for that balmy Phoenix weather tomorrow? Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, we'll be flying out later today, Phoenix. And, you know, Phoenix making it to the finals and uh, having all the success they're having, um, we're excited to represent CBS Sports HQ. But it all obviously gives us a chance to reconnect with my son, uh, Avery Johnson Jr., who lives in Scottsdale. And oh, that's right. he does a lot of work with Devin Booker as his operations manager and Kyler Murray as his business manager. So, it's going to be a, a little bit of a family affair, Bill. I'm excited about. That's a oh, good job. You know what? I've got um, I've got Phoenix at twelve to one to win an NBA championship, but you've got actual family uh, family connections and a stake in the game. And it really, Coach, there really has been an amazing run from the Suns, and I would argue, you know, Chris Paul and, and what he's brought to, to this team, this organization. As you look at it now from from ten thousand feet, having made the finals, how did um. How did an organization that has not won like this in a long time get here? Well, Bill, it, it started. I, I had a chance to visit uh, the Suns training camp when Monty Williams got the job. Monty and I were former teammates with the Spurs. Um, I was roommates with James Jones, the GM's dad in college. So I had a real strong connectivity with both of those guys. And I could really had a first row seat in terms of the foundation that those guys were laying with the team in terms of changing the culture, uh, you know, when Monty first got the job. So uh, they did it by, you know, having high standards, strong accountability model, change the practice habits, shoot around habits, the way they watch video. And then they went and dissected this roster of how they could really build this team around DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. A lot of people thought that James Jones in the front office was crazy for giving Devin Booker the big contract several years ago, but uh, Devin Booker, I guess, gave him a discount. And then you add Jay Crowder, Chris Paul, uh, player development with guys like Mikael Bridges and Cam Payne and Cam Johnson. And, you know, fortunately they've been overall healthy except for Chris Paul spending uh, two games in, in the protocol, uh, and, and just a rabid fan base. So uh, I would say that when James Jones was elevated to GM and when he hired Monty Williams, 
that's when things really started to change. Hey, Avery Johnson here on the show. And James Jones is such a remarkably impressive guy as it relates to what he's done there. And I, I think people forget, you're talking about a dude that I, I think was a three-time, if I remember right, NBA champion. I played a lot of places, but including the Miami Heat, which is obviously very, very well run. Where is it you think James – what do you think James pulled from his experience as coach that has allowed him to be the guy who has probably been the most impressive executive in the NBA the last year? Well, I, I think a lot of times we always want to talk about executives or coaches that have always learned from the good that they've seen in their career. But I think he's also learned from, you know, some of the places where he's been where – where they, they were, where they failed. And, and, you know, that's one of those things that you follow away in your mind and you say, you know what, we don't want to pattern our organization after that type of behavior. Or if there were poor communication between coaches and players or management and coaches and, or management and the ownership group, I think he, he learned a lot from what he didn't like in talking to James. And then also – you know, when you have a chance to spend time in the Miami Heat organization, um, they, they between the Heat and the Spurs, and you know, those are two of the elite franchises historically. Um, not name the Lakers and the Celtics uh, that have done it well consistently. You know, for over the past fifteen to twenty years, so I'm, I'm sure James learned a lot on both sides. And uh, he's had a chance to work with some of the most elite executives in the history of not just basketball, but in the history of sports. Avery Johnson here on the Jim Rome Show. Bill Ryder filling in on this uh, holiday weekend, Monday, extended part of the the 4th of July celebrations this weekend. Coach, we think Giannis is going to play. The Bucks are the underdog in the series in Vegas, in part because of the uncertainty of Giannis's health. So, if you're if you're Milwaukee, if you're Mike Budenholzer, if you're looking at this series, what are the things you need and you need to do to come out on top? Well, yes, you're right. Obviously, Giannis would help solve a lot of problems. We don't know what his availability is for the series, let alone games one and two. But I think you really have to encourage your team to continue to win games defensively. Because, you you know, with Milwaukee, between Drew Holiday, uh, you know, Middleton, and Brooke Lopez, um, those guys are some of the more elite defenders. And, you know, the way they really shut down Atlanta in those last two games uh, defensively, really caused problems. You know, Lou Williams had trouble, especially in game five, getting the ball up the floor. I think he had six turnovers. Uh, so I think you got to win it with your defense. Uh, and and then I think also playing inside out, uh, playing through Brooke Lopez, who went back to the old Brooke Lopez that I coached back when he played for me with the New Jersey and eventually the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, and then Drew Holiday, you know, play like an all-star. You know, continue to tell Drew, play like an all-star. That's why they gave up the King's ransom for the trade for him from the Pelicans. So I think that's going to be a couple of keys. And just don't settle for the for the three-point shot. When they started taking the ball inside and really dominating the hearts in terms of points in the paint, that's going to be their calling card. Coach, let's say, and I hope this doesn't happen, but let's say either Giannis can't play most of the games or the games that he plays in, he looks maybe a little bit like Trey Young did on Saturday, right? Trying to gut it out, but but obviously not himself. In that situation, 
if CP3 is healthy, if Devin Booker is healthy, do you think Milwaukee can win this series? I, I do not. Um, I don't think they can win this series with a healthy Giannis. Um, so I, 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 I really believe in what, what Phoenix is doing. I think they're the most complete team at, in basketball is left in the final balance. Fertility, um, and they don't have as many scoring droughts. I, I, I think consistently with Aiden and Booker and Paul and Crowder knocking down shots. Campaign had a game where, you know, he had 29 points and or nine assists and no turnovers. They do a really good job of taking care of the basketball. So I just think um, their balance, home court advantage, Chris Paul effect, 16 years, first time in the finals. Uh, they've won, you know, they, they beat a really good Clippers team, even without um, Kawhi Leonard. So I had the winner of the Clippers Phoenix Sun series winning the championship, and I think the Suns. It may take them seven games, but I think the Suns eventually wears the Milwaukee Bucks down and come out on top. Avery Johnson here on the program, Coach. You are an NBA champion. To what degree do you think this is obviously for for Chris Paul and you references the culmination of at least a life's professional dream to make it to this point and obviously to try and and win four more games. Do you think there will be a degree of nervousness or, or some kind of an effect for someone like Chris Paul having had such a long drought and now being in his first NBA Finals? There is some a degree of nervousness. That's you know the old John Thompson coach for Georgetown when when his team went to the went to the NCAA championship before they won their first one. He he told his team if you're if you're not nervous, you know get out of this locker room. It's okay to be a little nervousness. It's okay to uh, embrace a little fear, appropriate fear. So I'm sure Chris Paul has a little bit of that. But, you know, he, he's going to have an opportunity to really cement his career. He's going in the Hall of Fame no matter what. But this this has uh, been basically handed to the Suns on the silver platter. LeBron yep. and AD, they beat them in the first round. AD's injured. Brooklyn is injured. Uh, they won at their best. Uh, so, again, I just think this is a wonderful opportunity to, for him to really separate himself from the likes of a Carl Malone and a Charles Barkley, you know, other guys that have had Hall of Fame careers but just didn't win that NBA championship. So um, what a wonderful opportunity for a, a, a guy that's meant so much to NBA basketball and now the way he's given back to HBCUs. Uh, man, it's just incredible. Uh, his his legacy has a chance to really be cemented with an NBA Finals uh, championship and possibly an MVP. I think Booker's going to win the MVP, but uh, we'll see. Avery Johnson here on the show. What was that moment like, Coach, in 1999 when when you won an NBA championship? That's um that's a that's rarefied air. Very few people achieve that. Can you give us some insight into what either Giannis or Chris Paul and their teammates are going to be feeling in a week or two? Yeah, I, I just for me. It was all about the work and the process and the preparation of getting there, the journey. And all of the fans that stuck with us, you know, in 1995, we had the best team in the NBA, 62-20. and 20. We had beat the Rockets six times that year in the regular season, and then they upset us in the playoffs. And I remember Doc Rivers, he was my backup. And, you know, guys like Sean Elliott, David Robinson, Dennis Rodman, 
you know, we, we, we had an unbelievable team, and, and I still remember that series and how we disappointed so many Spurs fans. So to come back in 99 and win it, it, it was just the joy that we put on all of those fans and 250,000 folks that showed up on the Riverwalk for the celebration, and that was the first of five championships. And we knew if we didn't win that one, who knows if – the Spurs were going to ever break through as a small market team. So you think a lot about the process and the, and the journey and your teammates and coaching staffs and, and just the fans that um, that were there through some of the dark times. And you look at a, a team like Phoenix, you know, just a couple of years ago, I mean, two years in a row, they had the worst combined record in the league, and now they're in the finals. And, you know, Mike Butenhoser, who's coaching the Milwaukee Bucks, he was our video coordinator back when we won our championship with the Spurs. So a lot of connectivity for me with both organizations. Man, a lot of video coordinators, Eric Spolstra, uh, Vogel, Frank Vogel, make their way to being head coaches. Uh, Avery, absolute pleasure. I know you're busy. Thanks for being on the show, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing you tomorrow. Hopefully we're doing all of our none of our hits outside. Uh, that's, that's fingers <laughs> crossed. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be a little. It's gonna be a, a little hot outside. So hopefully we'll make it inside. We, we got to tell our boy Randy Brickley to pull some of his magic. <laughs> I agree, buddy. Everything. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow, man. Thanks for being here. See you on. tomorrow, Bill. And you can listen to him right now because even though he's probably traveling and busy, he is graciously making some time. Mister Amick, what's up, buddy? Mr. Ryder, good to hear from you, my friend. Uh, pardon a little bit of airport background noise. And uh, I'm hanging in, brother. You can relate. I, I got six pounds to somehow relocate from my luggage in the next few minutes. So that's what I'm dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Are you, uh, are you excited about the weather in Phoenix? Are you, are you, uh, what's the plan? Do you, do, you, do you wear the full suit to the game or do you, do you change at the arena? No, I mean, I th- it's a little weird, I think, to change at the arena. Um, that being said, as you know, because we texted about it, like my hotel is yeah. not by the arena. So hopefully the uh, friendly Uber or Lyft driver that I have has got a, a blaring <laughs> AC that works pretty well. But, yeah, it's hot. It's, I think it's about 102 today. Um, but I can't complain too much. You know where I live. It's, it's going to be uh, 105 here pretty soon in the Sacramento area. So it is what it is. Sam, I'm so spoiled from L.A. Sam Amick uh, here on the show. Sam, I, I was thinking about the story you did, and it all bleeds together. Forgive me if I get the dates wrong. But it feels like three to five weeks ago when you got Chris Paul on the phone and you had a, a pretty insightful and interesting conversation. Um, based on either that conversation or, or, or just sort of your best guesswork, what do you think specifically an NBA championship would mean to that player, given his storied career and the fact that he's never even been to the finals? I mean, it would mean a, a great deal. What I think is, is cool, though, about their story and the way that his story has changed is the Monty Williams factor. It, it, I think you'll understand what I'm saying here. Is like It's added a maturity to their group that has, I think, actually taken some pressure off of Chris because – whether it was the Clippers or the Rockets, you know, you know as well as I do, the narrative at this time of year would become very Chris Paul-centric. And with good reason, you know, I get it. you got a future Hall of Famer who hadn't even been to the conference finals for a long time. But it's ironic and weirdly fitting to me that, like, right about the time that Monty Williams comes in, this is a guy who, you know, tragically lost his wife years ago in a car accident and has been through a lot and, and is always real quick to tell everybody, like, this is just basketball. You know what I mean? Um, 
right about the time you have that kind of, you know, that kind of a grounded perspective, Chris is actually finding his way and enjoying this basketball sort of experience that has so long eluded him. So that's a long way of saying it would be meaningful, but um, I almost feel like it's been easier for him to move through this time and to be at his best when it mattered most, you know, perhaps because, you know, it's it's a little bit uh, of a different outlook than it was before. Yeah, I mean, perspective perspective is hard to come by and, and powerful when um, when it comes in the form of, of the sort of things that Monty Williams has dealt with. We're talking to Sam Emick here on the Jim Rome Show, Bill Ryder filling in for, for Jim. Sam, I, I know we don't know for sure, but just your best educated guess, to whatever degree you're comfortable, that you think Giannis will or won't, appear in in you know games one two three of this series so i'm gonna lean you know you know me well enough i don't never uh am shy to lean on fellow colleagues reporting if, if it's ahead of my own and so admittedly um i haven't been around the bucks and i hadn't dug too hard but chris haynes at yahoo sports had put it out there two days ago i think that that had the bucks hawk series gone to seven games that Giannis would have been cleared to play and so you know that logic certainly would would make you feel pretty good about games one and two in the finals. Um, but I'm curious to hear from Giannis today. There's a media day in Phoenix that he'll speak at and, you know, find out how he's feeling, what the latest is. And, and hopefully from Giannis to, I mean, on the other side, you had Devin Booker with the broken nose and Chris with the shoulder and Cam Johnson got sick and all these different things. I, I feel like after this postseason that has been so ravaged by injuries, you know, I'm crossing my fingers that, that you know, if, if both sides are healthy, this could be a fun series and a good series. Yeah, Sam, let's let's lean into the optimism. Let's just say for the sake of argument that everybody's healthy in this series, which I think would probably be the first series in the playoffs where that's been the case. Avery Johnson right. just talked to us and said he thinks the Suns are, are, are head and shoulders the better team. Do, do you come down in the same place? Do, do, do you like Milwaukee? How, how would you size this thing up if everybody is as healthy as you're expected to be at the end of a long season? I don't think I, I – I mean, I, if I had to pick a team, I, I don't know. Honestly, I mean, the Bucks are maybe my most frustrating team in the league just when it comes to what you think they could be and should be versus, you know, the inconsistency that you see. And that's a weird thing to say about a group that has played its way into the NBA Finals. You know, they're obviously doing something right. But, you know, the Suns have at times been equally confounding for me. You know, Chris Paul, listen, post-COVID – Post shoulder, he's kind of struggled at times to find his way back. Devin Booker was a man on fire for a minute, and then he cooled off in that Clippers series. Um, you know, they have some of the same elements, I think, that the Bucks struggle with just when it comes to their guys coming and going a bit. Chris Middleton is in that same category of guys that, like, man, he can be just an absolute elite player one night and then, you know, be 3 of 15 the next. Um, Drew Holiday is the same. You know, having Giannis out recently at times has shown you and reminded you who Drew Holiday can be. So, you know, I don't know if you point directly at Mike Budenholzer and his staff or, or who you pin it on, but it's like, man, you guys got to find some way to have this guy show up more often than not. So there's a weird inconsistency with both sides that leaves me a little bit torn about who I would even predict. Um, so I think, you know, again, I could easily see this thing being – Six or seven games. Sam Amick here on uh, here on the program. So the Atlanta Hawks are home. They're done, and I I think it's uh, clearly nothing but but a success what they just accomplished. And who knows if Trey Young had been healthy, 
what you know what else might have happened. As you look to the future, and they've got a decision to make on John Collins, they obviously have a young core of guys. You would assume Nate McMillan's going to be there and get paid a bunch of money as well he deserves. But there are some question marks. Cam Reddish looked really good in that last game. DeAndre Hunter, I think, is great, but did not play, obviously, in that series. What are you um, trying to put away, sort of being a captain of the moment, which I can be guilty of, what do you make of the Atlanta Hawks over the next one, two, three, four years? Um, I like him. The John Collins thing is front and center. Um, he's not the foundational player that I think at times he thought that he was, which is a weird, it's not a criticism. It's just a reality. But the combination of John and Clint Capella in the front court has been really good. And, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to see what the Hawks do there because they had not wanted to give him the kind of max money that he was looking for before. And he's been real, you know, kind of unabashedly open about the way he sees himself and his game. But I think in terms of the market and, and people around him and what they should be telling him, I mean, the season, the way it's fared out is that, listen, you're a very valuable player to this group and you're going to get paid somewhere regardless of very, you know, significant amount of money. But you're, you know, but don't, it's, the grass is not always greener type thing. I mean, you can win a lot of games in Atlanta if you, if you kind of scale it back a little bit on what you're trying to get. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe another team will throw the bag at him and the Hawks will have a decision to make because obviously they have his rights. So that's a major subplot for me. Uh, if they lose John Collins, that's a step backward. And, and that's not good because Clint Capella is great, but I just I love that combo of the two of those guys and what they bring on both ends of the floor. They complement each other. Um, from there, man, Trey Young was so good in the playoffs that they are just in a great spot when it comes to the vibe and the energy that often attracts the next guy. Like They're pretty deep right now. I don't even know what they'd be looking for in terms of upgrades. But Trey, I think, has chipped away at the narrative around him that's been there since high school, that, you know, the question of do you guys want to play with him? You know, those questions seem to fall by the wayside when a guy gets to the conference finals for the most part, especially at this young age and when he's, you know, averaging nine assists and playing an exciting brand of basketball. So they're in a great spot. Um, the money stuff with Collins is probably, you know, again, what's top of mind for me. And Sam Amick on the other side is a Clippers team that I thought were really impressive. I thought they played valiantly. I was incredibly impressed by Paul George, and I've been, I think, accurately, I don't, think, I don't even think critical is the right word, just have pointed <clears> out <throat> some of his postseason realities in the past. But there's a giant right. question mark in Kawhi Leonard, and I don't know that anybody knows. I mean, Kawhi, I don't think I've ever met personally a bigger enigma in any of the sports that I've covered than, than Kawhi. So again, I, I know it's more guesswork, but do you have any level of confidence in just thinking you know or could guess what Kawhi Leonard's going to decide to do this offseason? Um, I, so I have not taken a pulse post-Clippers demise, but leading into it, certainly, you know, the, the inference was that the, they had a lot of confidence um, within the Clippers that he was going to resign and be back. But they, you know, and this is, I guess, as of three weeks ago or so, from people who would know, you know, they had not been told, you know, Kawhi and his camp and Uncle Dennis, Robertson, his, his agent, you know, had not gone out of their way to tell them behind closed doors, yes, we're coming back. It did not sound like they had promises. So that kind of gets your attention a little bit. But the thing with Kawhi's story that people keep falling back on is that it's just been this, you know, widely known fact for the longest time that he wanted to play in L.A. And because you can, you know, the Lakers continue to not be an option, both for salary cap reasons and I think relationship reasons, 
it leaves him with a Clippers-only type of opportunity. So right now, I think he stays put. I think they forge ahead. I don't know what Steve Bomber's going to do in terms of changes. I think he's always going to make some changes, but it's hard if you're Bomber to be that upset about what they did considering the circumstances. Ty Lue had those guys fighting. You know, they, I mean, it would have been a disaster, you know, if they had fallen in that first round series and even in the second round. But to get to the conference finals, fight back yet again, and then just look up and be like, listen, we've been without you know, one of our two best players, if not our best player for a while now, you know, what do you expect to go to the finals without Kawhi Leonard? Like that's a little much. So um, I, I think that's where they're at. I just, you know, it's a good year, but as you know, living there, like that's not what Bomber signed up for. He's still kind of a all or nothing kind of guy. All right, Sam, last one for you, and then we'll let you get back to enjoying the, uh, the joys of travel in 2021. Um, LeBron James, going all the way back to the start of the season, wanted the season to be delayed a little bit and was worried about the physical toll on on guys, not just LeBron James. Obviously, there have been a ton of injuries, and yet the NBA was able to get almost an entire season underway, and they're going to crown a champion. When this thing is said and done, when the finals are over, for you, is this a a successful season that's been executed by the NBA, or is there room for some criticism given all the injuries in the postseason? Um. I think there's room for criticism. I mean, I think, you know, I just, I, I don't sit in on the NBA's accounting meeting. I don't know all the numbers. It's always hard as a reporter, you know, to weigh in and have strong opinions when you don't have all the facts. So that's my disclaimer. But I still, you talk to people within the league who just simply wish that when Adam Silver and company, you know, looked at the numbers and said, no, nah, we need to start in December. Um, come hell or high water, that's what we got to do for financial reasons, that they would have looked at the bigger picture and realized that, listen, you you were already kind of on your way back. The bubble was a success. You kept your head afloat as a business. And, you know, yes, you would have said goodbye to a lot of cash if you started in January or February. But, you know, in when, when we were back in the bubble, that, that was the idea, that these guys are going to need a minute to recover with their bodies. And then in the end, the choice was made to go from essentially mid-October to mid-December. I mean, that's just an insanely quick turnaround, especially for the Lakers in the heat. Um, And, you know, so I think, yeah, it it does. It's fair criticism to highlight, you know, the the choices that were made. They, They absolutely could have given their players a little more time. And yes, it was collectively bargained with the league. But as you know, that's always, it's always, you know, it's not that it's not true. It is true, but the union politics are such that a lot of times all that really means is that you came to an agreement and an understanding with the union's executive board that at different times has shown uh, an inability, I think, to take a real pulse on the, the collective body of players. So if I'm Joe Schmo, role player in Milwaukee, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I feel 100% represented. I'm sure there were plenty of players that even like LeBron, that, that we're not ready to roll. Sam Amick, no Joe Schmo himself, Milwaukee or otherwise. Uh, buddy, great work. I know how busy you are, and I know what, what a favor it is. So thank you for being on. Travel safely, and I'll, I'll see you in Phoenix, pal. You got it, Bill. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, dude. Good night now!